the changes shouldn't be scary. They're, they're incredibly positive. I mean, we're talking about a world which would have better air quality for our children, healthier diets, more active lifestyles, be more attuned with nature, stronger local communities, more resilient energy use. I struggle to see a downside of this. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future. Or we like to call it HAT for short. And you, my dear listeners, are our mad hatters. HAT is an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation. Whether you're a planet-conscious parent, groovy grandparent, fab foster carer, terrific teacher, awesome auntie, or any other member of the extended family. We're having conversations with leading doers, thinkers, and shakers in climate action that will inspire you to stay optimistic, feel part of an ever-growing movement, and take actions that fit into your busy lives. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. So, who are we? I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast. I'm the one providing the Aussie accent. And I'm Helen Hill, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. The one with a very exotic British Bolton accent. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Truan Resterick, founder and previous CEO of the charity Hubbub UK, which transforms the way environmental messages are communicated by bringing people and organisations together as a force for good. In 2020, Hubbub won Charity of the Year and Truan was recognised with a Global Leader of the Year Award. And in 2021, he won the Business Green Lifetime Achievement Award. Truan has also created successful environmental enterprises, including Paper Round, a flourishing recycling business, and Global Action Plan, a long-established environmental charity. Truan is currently creating a new venture, which will make it easier for people to live a greener life. He is an environmental advisor to Tetra Pak, the Esme Fairbairn Foundation, and the National Lottery Climate Fund. This episode is supported by Hubbub which helps to make actions that are good for the environment second nature. Check out the show notes for this episode to learn more. In this conversation, we'll talk about creating positive environmental change, the role of design in creating change, and the most successful family-focused hubbub campaigns. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Truan. Thank you very much for the invitation. No, it's great to have you here. So first up, we'd like to ask you about Hubbub. And Hubbub is all about transforming the way that we communicate environmental messages. And how do we need to change the environmental narrative that's out there right now? It's a great question. So I set up Hubbub uh, just over eight years ago, scarily. And I was asking the question, why aren't more people really concerned about the environmental crisis we're facing? and why aren't more people acting? And I had a look at how the whole message was being communicated, and it was quite dull, it's quite negative, seemed very distant. People use words that many of us don't understand. So the first thing that I decided to do was, well, let's talk about things that people are passionate about. So we chose uh, the homes that people live in, the clothes they wear, their food they eat, and their neighbourhoods. We sort of tried to ban all those environmental buzzwords uh, and just use plain common language. We wanted our campaigns to be really positive, uh, really accessible, really understandable. We decided that the best way to create change at scale was to work with progressive companies that we thought really wanted to achieve things. 
And finally, we decided you had to be completely honest about what you were trying to achieve. You had to admit where things didn't work out and explain why and celebrate successes. And, and the hope was really to experiment, to prove that change was possible and was positive and to encourage others then to steal the best ideas and take them to scale uh, and also to learn from the mistakes that we made so they didn't repeat it. So that, that was really the, that was the ethos behind Hubbub when we started. I really love that and I think there is such a need to change the story and just make it more playful and fun and attractive to be a part of. So I think the work that you're all doing there is incredibly important and valuable. And so I guess something that I'd love to ask you about is this whole idea of how we can make environmental actions the default rather than being the exception that, you know, it's a nice to have or it's an add-on or if it's, it's a conscious choice. How can we make it the default action? Again, another great question because behavior change and motivational techniques will hit quite a lot of people, but you can only go so far if all the systems around you are, are, are fighting against you. So to create change at scale and that becomes the social norm, you need all the systems within which we live to make it as easy as possible to do the right thing. And again, that's incredibly difficult, particularly at this time of where the politics are at the moment. But I think what we've tried to do at Hubbub when we work with companies is to really encourage them to invest in the infrastructure as well as the behavior change programs. So uh, through the work with companies, we've probably invested near two million pounds into better recycling facilities so that people can recycle their coffee cups or their plastics and other things when they're on the go. Uh, when we talk to companies like IKEA, you know, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for customers to understand what the better products environmentally are and to direct them in, in that direction. And, and also to, to really is, illustrate to, to people that being environmental doesn't mean cost. And uh, necessarily, you know, if you reduce food waste, you're doing amazing things for the environment, uh, but you're also saving yourself money. The more use we can get from existing resources, the better for the economy. And the more we have a varied diet and sort of do active tra traveling, like walking and cycling, the better for your health. So, so it's a combination of making the infrastructure work for people, but also demonstrating that it can be cost-effective and it can actually be, lead to a healthier lifestyle. That's so true and that really resonates with me actually because that's a balance I think we can all find difficult to find at times but it's really important to look at those positives and those wins in you know the actions that you're taking and balance that with the things where you do feel like you may be having to spend more time or cost. And, and one area that's really important to me because uh, you know I'm a designer that's been a large part of my career so far is about the impact design can have. So can you tell us a bit about the role of design in creating this change as well? I think design is absolutely crucial. Great design is at the heart of, of many amazing things in our society, isn't it? And again, when I started Hubbub, I, I took a look around, and this is a sweeping generalization, but it was pretty fair to say that the design of environmental campaigns wasn't great. You know, they're all on grey paper. It was font size eight. You had to plough through sort of 700 graphs and sort of 60 page essays to understand what on earth was going on. So we were trying to think about how, how can you use playful, thoughtful design to sort of change that, that whole conversation. 
We're incredibly lucky at Hubbub. We we have like a team of five creative designers who help us develop campaigns and they get involved right from the start. So, you know, if we have a challenge we want to address, the designers are there right at the beginning to try and 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 make things happen in a way that is accessible and engaging. So an example of that is we're really concerned about the amount of plastics that we're finding our way into our rivers and, and consequently into our oceans. So we wanted to raise attention to the devastating impact that plastic has if it's put in the natural environment, but also show that plastic actually, if it is recycled, can be transformed into amazing products. So with, with our designers, we collected up a whole load of uh, plastic bottles from a sponsored cycle event in London. They went up to Scotland, they were turned into something called plastic wood. And then with our designers and the Queen's boat builder, ironically, we turned those plastic pieces of wood into a, a boat, which we called the Polymare, which was made of 99% recycled plastic, approving that this really durable product could be made into a boat. And with that boat, we, we put an electric motor on it. And we take school children and we take businesses, plastic fishing. So, you know, they go around Canary Wharf on the boat, picking plastics out of the, the waters. So improving the environment, but with the narrative around, you can then turn this into amazing products such as this boat. And we've now got a fleet of those boats. But that whole design process was, was about taking that story and making it come to life through brilliant design. And that's what we try to do across all our projects. I absolutely love that. And bravo for the pun off the boat's name. That's absolutely fabulous. Love a good pun. But can you tell us more about some of your more successful sort of family-focused hubbub campaigns then? Because those are some great examples you've given us already. It'd be great to hear some more. So we, we ran a campaign for a while called A Mother to Another. And what we found was that lots of parents, mothers, carers, had baby clothing in, in at home, which their babies had outgrown really quickly and was still sort of really high quality. But the, the carers were reluctant to, to give them a charity to a charity shop because they had an emotional attachment. They remember their, their baby growing up in it or their child growing up in it. So a mother to another was about how could you get maximum value from that clothing? And we got groups of uh, parents to come together to create gift bundles um, <clears throat> of clothing for different age groups, boys, girls, and but to write a little note on the on the gift bundle saying, I remember my child in this, this is the memory I have with it. And we put these gift bundles together and then through retail outlets on Mother's Day, they were gifted to local families as a gift from a mother to another. And the gift value of, of the bundles was about £120. So they were really high quality and they were helping local families who, who really needed support. So it had that social element. But what was really nice was the quality of clothing was so high because there was an emotional connection with the project that people were gifting something that was important to them and they, they wanted it to have a, a sort of longer life and, and be of benefit to the local community. So, so I think that's, that's an example of how we've tried to help parents and benefit the environment as well. And then the other campaign I'm really proud of is we now have over 250 community fridges uh, throughout the UK. So we discovered that a lot of retailers throw out perishable food, particularly fruit, vegetable, bakery products at the end of the day because it needed to be kept chilled or frozen somewhere and there was nowhere for them to take it. And food banks tended not to have those sort of facilities. 
So a community fridge is run by a local group. Perishable food goes there or people, if they've got a glut of vegetables, can put those vegetables in the fridge. And then it's free for anybody to take. So they don't have to prove they need it. They, they can just come and take the food to, to reduce food waste. And we started with a couple of fridges up in Derbyshire in London. And everybody said, oh, it's this one work. People abuse the system. But they've just been incredible. The growth of those, those fridges uh, across the UK with support of the co-op has, has been amazing. And, and it's now providing fresh fresh food that would have been wasted to to, to families uh, who really need it at the moment they're really beautiful examples true and i think you know it comes through so strongly the emotion and real feeling behind these campaigns and i guess how much that they go to the heart of what people care about and and what could actually make change for them so i guess to link into that then how do you then create environmental change that is long lasting are these campaigns sometimes are often a starting point and then they flow further how do you see that happening it's a question we keep asking ourselves it's like you know you don't want this to be a firework display that sort of shines brightly for a while and then disappears you, you need to create change which has a long-term impact and i think there are three ways that that we try and do that one is there's a behavior change technique called a social norm which is people are more likely to follow a pattern of behavior if they think others are doing the same and it's sort of the normal thing to do in society. So sort of a lot of the environmental stuff struggles because it's seen as a fringe thing that only a few odd people at the edges of society do. So how do you mainstream those behaviors? How do you make it part of daily routines that, that there is a community fridge in your, in your area, for example? So sort of shifting that view of normality or that social norm is really important for us and we try and do that a lot the second way we do it is is by working with big companies again this is a touchy subject for very many environmental charities but we actually believe that you need the most progressive companies on your side to deliver at scale and and to help change the normality of behavior so you know one of the campaigns we run is with virgin media o2 and we discovered that there was thousands of smartphones sitting in people's drawers at home or at workplaces. So we work with O2 to collect up those phones, clean them physically, clean them digitally, and then we're giving them out with free data to, to people who need it. But the only way we can do that on scale, I think we've given out over 10,000 phones now, is through a big corporate. So we unashamedly cooperate with big companies. And then the third thing I mentioned is, is how can you actually change the structures, the, the infrastructure, and ultimately government policy. That's a much harder task, but we're always looking about, you know, what can we tell government and how can we nudge government to change some of their policies? Yeah, and leading on from that, something that, you know, when we're talking about the future, the government obviously have quite a <laughs> big uh, role in that. But what gives you hope for the future? That's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm sort of a glass half full person, naturally, but if you look at the stats around carbon emissions, air quality, and plastic pollution we face, even this month, you know, this is one of the worst months of destruction in the rainforest. If you look at the hard data, it's pretty grim. And obviously, if you look at the overall global picture with what's happening in, you know, Ukraine and other places, it, it, it can be quite depressing. So where I cling to hope is that when you face a period of such disruption, what quite often happens is that people come together in local communities 
and sort of find their own solutions and find their own way to be resilient and, and to create the world that they want to see. Um, and I definitely see that happening in the UK and across the world is that there is a huge upsurge in amazing localized campaigning. And I think that's slowly starting to infiltrate into political systems. It'll be a slow process, but, but that's, that's where I see hope. That answer, and I think this is an answer we're hearing more and more around this question. People really seem to see hope in others, whether it's local community or, you know, what's possible, the strength of humanity, all of that. And so I think to, to flow on from that then, what would you say to our world leaders given two minutes in a room with them? Wake up. <laughs> Believe the science because I'm sure they say they do, but I'm not sure they truly, truly believe it. And, you know, the message from scientists is stark. But if you believe the science, don't, don't see it as a threat, but see it as a massive opportunity to have probably what very few world leaders have, which is a new vision of a different world. I personally think that if, if you look at how do you change the way we operate globally to be sustainable, the changes shouldn't be scary. They're incredibly positive. I mean, we're talking about a world which would have better air quality for our children, healthier diets, more active lifestyles, be more tuned with nature because you wouldn't have so much dependency on a very small number of crops or food stocks. Uh, you'd have stronger local communities. You'd have more resilient energy use, which is produced more locally. I struggle to see a downside of this. And I think a brave world leader should see the massive opportunities that, that a shift in the way that society operates could offer to, to, to them and, and, and to everybody. And unfortunately, they're still beholden to vested interests, conservative thinking, the status quo, um, and they basically lack bravery. So that, that, that's what I would say to them. Yeah, you made some great points there. And, uh, you know, lacking bravery is definitely something that resonates. And that whole idea of a new vision, but a different world, it's what makes it feel quite um, disconnected for those of us that aren't world leaders. So what would you tell the guardians of the next generation, whether it's the parents, the carers, the extended family, the teachers? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's an age old message, but I, I think it's such an important one, which is, you know, we're just tenants on earth, aren't we? It's something that, that we almost have a duty to respect, to nurture, to, to look after and to pass on in at least the same state and hopefully better to future generations. And I think it is that respect for this incredible planet we live on is, is something that really should be beholden on all of us in, in our lives and, and what we do. And I think that has to be the underlying tenant of, of sort of the environmental movement. But in doing all of those things, you can have a way better quality of life than the one we have at the moment. We know that, you know, we're suffering obesity crisis, mental health crisis, cost of living crisis. Uh, and all of these things link back ultimately to the way that we're treating the environment and the way that we're treating each other. And, and I think a sustainable agenda is, is way more than environmental. It's sort of social and it's, and it's about well-being and it's about equality and respect. And... And those are sort of the core messages that I think any thoughtful carer will, will want to embed in their children because that's how we create a better society. 
I was nodding away that whole time as you were speaking, Truon. I completely agree. And I think that is a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so, so much for joining and speaking with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much to both of you for the opportunity and congratulations on what you're doing. I think your podcasts are amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Your initiation into the Hatter tribe is now complete. We really hope this episode inspired you and that you're coming back for more. If it did, please review, subscribe and share this episode with a curious, climate conscious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. And there's lots more where that came from. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our fabulous guest. And if you just can't get enough of us and manage to grab another few minutes peace in your day, do come hang out with us on social channels where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety and gloom into fun and playful action. And not forgetting you can regularly see us making a fool of ourselves on reels. Together we can hope, act, thrive.